Welcome to Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs, the podcast for busy and high-performing entrepreneurs and leaders who are looking to create more energy and optimize their health while upgrading their brain and personal performance with precision. I am your host, Julian Hayes II. I've been involved with health and performance for over a decade. This podcast was created for the high performer who is unapologetically ambitious, the one who moves at a fast pace and operates with an edge, the one who wants to become superhuman. Nothing here is fluff, gimmicky, or feel good. I have little to no interest in simply helping you improve your life. I want to help transform it. By listening to this podcast, expect to have a body that feels just as good as it looks. Expect to possess a swagger and style that gives off an infectious vibe. Expect to command the stage or any boardroom you walk into with your executive presence. And lastly, expect to become your most enhanced self so you can live a limitless life. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Julian Hayes II, back at it again, talking with another fellow superhuman, and you're going to love his story. It is the embodiment of someone who has the superhuman mentality where they just don't quit. I'm going to read a little bit on his bio, and it's after two divorces and a business failure, this gentleman, he went from broke at age 50 to a multimillionaire after learning the three secrets of the wealthy. And he talks about this in a great TED in a great TEDx talk as well, which I will definitely link up. And despite failing high school math, he did all this. Like really. And he now donates a hundred percent of the profits from his online programs to a charity that trains rescue dogs for wounded soldiers. His award winning best selling book, Wealth on Any Income, has been translated into eight languages. That is awesome. So I am speaking with none other than Mr. Rennie Gabriel. How is it going, Rennie? It's going terrific, Julian. You did such a great job with the introduction. I love it. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, It's easy to do when you have, when you have this much that you're, that you've done already and you're just getting, you're just getting started. Uh, yeah, and it's funny too because one of the comments was you said uh, who just doesn't quit, and my children recognized years earlier that I don't have the emotional capacity to retire, and so it's not like I just don't quit. It's just like I don't know how to quit. <laughs> and that's that's one way to stay young forever is to stay far away from retiring and just doing nothing because you're still useful to the world. Yes. And, and I don't use the word retire in any of my programs. I mean, I talk about it because people understand the term, Mm -hmm. but I don't use it because um, one of the people that I know talks about it from the standpoint that having worked on a farm and having cattle, uh, when a cow can no longer produce milk, they put it out to pasture to let it die. And the term for putting it out to pasture to die is we will retire this cow. (laughs) So not wanting to be thought of as cattle or being put out to pasture to die, I created a term 
that I've trademarked called, I want people to achieve complete financial choice, not mm -hmm. retirement. I like that. That's much better than the alternative. Yeah. It's, so before we dive into the present, let's, let's time travel back to the past a little bit and get into your origin story. Um, and I like to ask this question to a lot of people. So what are like one to two lessons from childhood that has shaped you into who you are today? Mm, well, let's see. Uh, one of the comments from my mother when I was about eight years of age was by uh, uh, an apartment building. And I think because, you know, that's all she could think of was one. But the point being, well, because the tenants will pay their rent, will buy the building for you. And so I remember her saying that there wasn't much I could do about it. But I remember that as a comment from my childhood. In terms of the other things from my childhood, I would say it is what I made up that I had to undo that was the most important. As an example, I was a latchkey kid. I figured everything um, that I was going to be responsible for was my responsibility to take care of myself because parents just weren't there. Well, that's a big hindrance to producing results as an adult. When you're unwilling to ask for help, when you think you're the one who has to do it all, that is not a way to become successful. So that was something I had to undo. How'd you start to undo that? Because I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a lot of people who maybe probably right now unconsciously still carry that from childhood. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm sure there's many people who continue to carry that silly idea of having uh, what a five-year-old or six or seven-year-old child believes running an adult body. Um, and I started working on it in some seminars, probably when I was about 30. And somewhere, I think I was around 40 when I was in a seminar and I needed help on doing a flow chart or a PERT chart or whatever you want to call it, where you've got a series of actions leading to a result. And I didn't know how to do it. And I, I, I just, I knew I needed to ask for help. I was unwilling, but there was no other choice. Mm -hmm. So I said, I need to do a PERT chart and I have no idea how to do it. This was before the days of the internet where you could just look up anything. And the only person in the course, and there was about 40, 50 of us in the course, uh, offered to help me. It turns out he was an engineer with um, uh, an, oh, shoot, um, a ma airplane manufacturer. And so pff, this was how he earned a living. And it was so funny too, because I thought of him as a nerd and this is not someone I'd want to have a relationship with. And he was the only one in the course who offered to help me. <laughs> yeah. So that just kind of tells you to always be open to, exactly. you, you, you never know where that blessing, that opportunity is going to come from. And exactly it's, right. And it's, and it's usually where you least expect it. It can very often be where you don't expect it at all. And it turns out he was a great guy and I really enjoyed being with him. And so my initial idea that he was just kind of a nerd that I wouldn't have anything to do with completely evaporated. And the second thing was not only is it okay to ask for help, but people are willing to help. People want to help. People feel good when they help. And, you know, so that's when I started to get over this idea that I had to do it all by myself. 
Yeah, I'm curious now. Okay, so you failed high school in math and you ended up going into the financial industry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I laugh about the silliness of that. Yeah, I, you, 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 you fail high school math. Let's go into a, in a, a career that requires math for everything. Well, 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 I know we got calculate. There's calculators always that, that you can yeah. kind of put. Oh put, yeah. Oh, put, and I, you got spreadsheets and stuff. So I was like, it's not the most out there thing, but I'm just curious because it's a perceived weakness. And so most people would run far away from something that they're weak in. At least. Well, by yeah. Two things um, occurred. One of them was that it was the time when those little handheld calculators uh, had been invented. So literally you could carry a one or maybe it was one and a half pound calculator around and not have this 10 key machine. So I had that as an aid, that's number one. And number two, I found that there was a difference between understanding money concepts like future values and compounding and present values and amortization. Those things made sense to me where an algebra formula or a calculus or geometry made no sense to me. Mm. That's the difference because, and that's a lot of times where when we think about school and education and academics, a lot of that is theory. And a lot of that information that you use, I, or at least that you study, you're never going to use it in the real world. That's correct. And the things that you really need in the real world don't get taught in school. Like, how to handle money powerfully, how to do an income and expense sheet, how to determine what your net worth is, how to pay yourself first so you can actually have complete financial choice if you choose to stop working. Why do you think all those things are lacking? Um, I have One theory is that our school system was designed to manufacture employees and educate people so that they could go to work for a company that needed employees, had nothing to do with being an entrepreneur, had nothing to do with being in inventive, had nothing to do with critical thinking skills. It only had to do with, we will manufacture employees for large companies. Mm. I can see all those reasons there. So where did you get your entrepreneurial itch at? Um, it was interesting. It did not exist in my family. My mother was a clerk in a bakery. And my dad worked for his brother who owned a shower door company. And what I saw was, and, and it was unconscious because I was a child, was that my uncle owned a business. My oh, and the bakery where my mom worked as a clerk was owned by her brother and sister-in-law. And it was like, those were the people I looked at. I didn't look at my own parents. I looked at my uncles and said, oh, that's pretty cool. Look at the nice life they have. And it had something to do with owning a business. Hmm. Yeah. You know, when I, when I think about my own like health journey, my biggest influence in health positively was just a random gentleman mm. that, that I was playing basketball with one day that was much mm. older than me. And that really changed my paradigm. So once again, that goes back to what we talked about earlier, where these opportunities, you just never know where they're going to come from. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it, my parents loved me, but like I said, I was a latchkey kid. Um, you know, they worked hard 
And so I do have some of the flavor of you need to work hard because that's what my parents did, but they weren't exactly the role models um, to copy. I mean, my dad, when he was working for his brother, was making $50 a week. I earn eight times that in an hour. Mm -hmm. And so um, what interested me with your story was, and I listen after listening to your your TEDx video as well, is that you mentioned that for most of your life, you struggled financially. Oh, yeah. And, and you had a good paying career and everything. So what were some of the mistakes that you were making? Or well, the biggest mistake was the idea that the more money I made, it would solve the problems I had in terms of struggling with money. Um, it seemed like there was always more uh, bills at the end of the month than money. And so I figured all I had to do was earn more money. And it started from when I got out of college and I'm earning 6,500 a year and short a hundred dollars a month. So I doubled my income, got out of teaching school and now I was short 200 a month. And so I figured, well, you know, if I earn more money, well, after I passed a hundred thousand a year, and I'm short $2,000 a month or 24,000 a year, I, I, it finally dawned on me that this wasn't, work, <laughs> that wasn't working. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I'm a little bit slow on the uptake sometimes. <laughs> so I guess like, when you hit that moment at 50 and you, you, you realize like, there's not as much as you want to show for what you've done so far in life. And you just, you, 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 you've been on this. There was nothing to show. Go ahead. <laughs> I guess I was being a little polite there. Yeah. You, yeah. yeah you were being yeah. kind. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate uh, it. <laughs> and so, uh, so you're at that juncture at 50 years old. I know most people at that age, 50 would be <laughs> like, this isn't, this isn't, isn't meant for me because strangely enough, I hear people now I'm just a shade over 30. And I hear people already kind of with this defeatist talk. So how did you get your, what was one of the first few things that you did to really start to get yourself into gear? Uh, th there were, well, one thing spurred me into action. And that was the idea that uh, if I take the traditional approach of retire at 65, or you're supposed to have enough money at 65 to retire, and I'm starting from broke. And I thought to myself, well, Am I going to be eating cat food or tuna in 15 years? <laughs> and, and I figured, okay, I've, at 50, I got to get it together now. And so what I did is I used a concept that I tried a couple times earlier, which is 5,000 years old. Now, it's been working for 5,000 years. Um, you and I can try and do something different, and it may or may not work. But I thought, okay, I'm going to use something that has worked for 5,000 years. And when you and I are gone from this planet, it'll still be working. And it's called, and here's the funny part. I, I'm going to quiz you on this. It's called pay yourself first. Okay. For every business owner you've got out there who's listening to this, there is nothing more important to the creation of wealth and financial security or abundance than the concept pay yourself first. So Julian, I, I, if if you were to try and explain that concept to someone, or if you were to tell me how what that means to you, what would you tell me? Off the top of my head, just rapid fire, it's putting on your own oxygen mask first. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how would that show up with the money? I think it, it allows you to show up as a more impactful version of yourself because your bucket is filled. So I, I just think that gives you credence to create a bigger impact. But but how? That's, mm-hmm. you, you've got the right concept and stuff, but how do you make it happen? Your habits and behaviors. Okay. Yeah, you're close. I, I'm, and now specifically, what habit, what behavior? Uh, having separate accounts and making sure to, anytime you get paid, anytime there's a, a transfer, anytime you get paid from a client or anything, you take a certain percentage of that money and put it into the account. That's for you. Thank you. And that is correct. Now, it took me a little bit to drag that out of you. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's funny because I've asked that to other people recently, um, ask them to explain it to me or what it means to them. And I get responses like, oh, well, yeah, as soon as the revenue come in, I pay for my essentials. Or uh, as soon as I get paid, I pay my rent. Or And I'm thinking, wait a second, that's paying someone else first. That's not you. And so I recognize there's a huge gap in terms of attitude among wealthy people versus I'll say ordinary people. And many business people are ordinary people. Many entrepreneurs are still ordinary people in their thinking. And here's what I'm getting at. When a wealthy person hears familiar information, like the expression, pay yourself first. Now, have you heard of that before? Yes. Yeah. Okay. What an ordinary person will do when they hear familiar information is make a statement like, I've heard that before, or I know that, or that's not new to me, or maybe even I've tried that. A statement does not produce any actions that result in a change in someone's circumstance. What does make a change is asking a question, and that's the attitude of a wealthy person. And the question when they hear a familiar thing like pay yourself first would be, hmm, uh, where would I put the money? Or when will I begin that? Or uh, who can support me with that? And those questions lead to the actions that produce results. And so what I'm getting at is there's a huge gap between the attitudes wealthy people have and what ordinary people have. And as something as simple as the concept of pay yourself first can change someone's life. It did for me. It did for, and it does for thousands of other people that I've, you know, trained in this. And that's just a foundational concept. We're not talking about anything sophisticated here. We're not talking about um, Facebook ads or LinkedIn messaging (laughs) or a clubhouse. We're talking about the absolute basics. Why do you think, do you think just because you think it's because it's a, I guess, a basic concept that's been around for thousands of years. Why do you think many, like a lot of entrepreneurs don't even take care of something as basic as this? Um, I think it's because we're too smart. Mm. And, and I'll, uh, I'll give you an example. I remember in one of my workshops years, years ago, uh, a girl came up and told me about her brother. And um, I'm going to use the term she used. I don't care if it's politically correct or not, because 
This isn't what I said. This isn't how I described her brother. She said, uh, my brother is retarded. <laughs> okay. And she didn't mean it. I mean, she loved her brother. So she wasn't yeah. putting it down. It's just he did not have the mental capacity to do anything other than what he was told. Mm-hmm. And he worked at minimum wage jobs. At least he was able to work. And one of the things she said her father told him was that uh, when you get paid, you were to put, I don't remember what the percentage was. Let's say it was 20%. He t- taught him how to calculate it. You put 20%, 30%, maybe it was 50%. I don't know, aside in your in your savings account. You know, helped him open it up and all that stuff. This was a parent who taught his child what to do, which is rare. Now, what the sister said is she's in my workshop, which had to, and I'm trying to think of what the, I think the, um, the title was something from debt to wealth. And she was there because she was in debt. <laughs> Her brother who was retarded, who only had minimum wage jobs was a, in his thirties and had like a hundred thousand dollars in savings. And this is like 30 years ago when a hundred thousand dollars was a lot of money. And what I'm getting at is he was retarded, according to her, Mm -hmm. not smart enough to choose to do something better or different. He just did what he was told Mm. and was accumulating a lot of money. Wow. That's a powerful lesson right there. So we sister who wasn't retarded, didn't have money. (laughs) Same parents. So Sometimes, or a lot of times, it sounds like, at least in this instance, you can almost be sometimes too smart and just, exactly. you can, you can be the biggest detriment to the yeah. success and the wealth that you want. Uh, you're, you're, you're completely accurate. Hmm. Very interesting there. I wonder what was her reaction after finding that out? You know, just, I, I bet she was shocked. <laughs> Uh, she was a little dismayed. She was disappointed in herself. Here's, you know, what her brother was doing and it worked and she's too smart. And she decided, she decided to do what her brother was doing. Mm. (laughs) I bet so. (laughs) I bet so. So, you know, you know, thinking about this here and, um, let's talk about some of the things that keep entrepreneurs broke. Um, and I think there's five of those, right? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, there's, there's probably 30, but let's yeah. talk about the top five. Okay. All right. Let's start with one. Let's start with, are these, um, is the first one going to be the biggest problem or are they in any, or any order or anything? Um, well, I could do it that way, but I'm, I'm, I'll give you my biggest problem first, my biggest myth. Okay. Uh, and then we'll go to what I think is the biggest. Okay. So the, my biggest myth was the more money I earn, the more wealth I'll create. We already talked about that is that I just outspent whatever I was earning. So that's myth number one. It doesn't matter how, oh, by the way, um, one of the things that we didn't talk about is how I created a multi-million dollar net worth paying myself first. I was only earning $5,000 a month and setting aside $500 a month. And in three years, I'd saved up $18,000. But that $18,000 I saved up was the first move to creating multi-millions of uh, dollars of equity in real estate. And something else I mentioned, I didn't do it by myself. Hmm. I, I did it with two other people. 
So yeah, and, let's let's dive into that a little more before, and we'll come back to that because okay. that's it. Because I'm sure when people think about um, like to create all this wealth, you need a lot of money initially. No, to, to save up, and you that just, is one of the myths. We'll get to that. Yeah, one. and you just dispelled that right there. <laughs> yes, yeah, and, and um, <clears throat> I meant to say it at some point in our conversation, and it's an expression that I've created called "wealth creation is a team sport, not a solo sport." And that gets to my unwillingness earlier to not ask for help, and I realize that doesn't work. And if you look at every successful business, whether it's Apple Computer, whether it's Berkshire Hathaway, I don't care what it is, it was not created by one person alone. I mean, uh, Warren Buffett has Charlie Munger. Steve Jobs had Steve Wozniak. Um, Elon Musk has, you know, plenty of people who are leading the charge. He's the visionary and he has execution masters. And that's the key to any successful business is it's a team sport, not a solo sport. So anyway, um, that, that, that applied for me in the real estate. All I had was $18,000. Well, my wife added $18,000 and this realtor added $36,000. And that was the down payment on a first three unit building we bought. Oh. Hmm. So again, it was a team sport. And we, we worked together for the next 10 years and went from that first three unit building to 50 units we owned and managed. So as you were saving, let's, let's, you know, like a day one. So you're making, I think you, you believe 5,000, right? Yep. Correct. Yeah. And you're putting away 500. Correct. Did you kind of, sometimes we, did you ever start to get impatient or anything about it? Or did yes. you like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Cause I hear, okay. I'm 53 years of age and I've got $18,000 to my name. Whoopee. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cause I know. Cause sometimes when we get impatient, we can make dumb decisions. Yeah. yeah. So this was, yeah, it was the decision didn't turn out to be dumb, but it was, I, I was buying individual stocks. I had $18,000. Uh, this was an ideal time from the standpoint of the dot-com bubble burst. And none of my money was in technology stocks where people were losing 30, 40%. So I was being conservative. I was buying stocks that were on the Dow Jones 30 and my, uh, Projection was I'd be able to earn 11% compounded annually, and I'd earned like 1%, which was far better than people who lost 30 and 40%. Okay. Makes but sense. But I recognized personality-wise, I had some control issues. And buying stocks where other people were in control of the company didn't fit my control issues. I mean, I'm not going to tell General Motors what style taillight to have on their car. Well, I mean, I could, but <laughs> I mean, Warren Buffett can't even tell them that. <laughs> it's very true. You know, sometimes you got to realize the, what the uncontrollables are and not to even put too much stock in that. Yep. And, but when it came to the real estate, we could choose where we were going to buy it, how we were going to finance it, what we were going to, or if we were going to remodel and who the tenants would be, uh, you know, and if we were going to sell it or do a tax deferred exchange or whatever, we were in control and that fit my control issues. So do you think that, do you think real estate is the ideal option for most um, people when they're looking to start creating wealth? Do you think that's the, a great first vehicle? To look into? It can be, but it does take some money. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I had $18,000. I mean, maybe if I'm in some place in Indiana or Ohio, that's a down payment on a whole house. Uh, but in Los Angeles, where I am, that doesn't do much. No, not at all. Yeah, it requires <laughs> partners. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't even do much in Nashville now because of, of how it's taken off now. So Yeah, I so, believe it. So I guess, okay, so now as we circle back around to things that are keeping that can keep entrepreneurs broke. One of those, as you mentioned, and that was, this is your biggest problem that you mentioned earlier. The myth was more money equals more wealth. Correct. And that's completely, and it, it doesn't because you can outspend anything you earn. MC Hammer proved that when he earned 33 million a year and was went broke. Yeah. Um, so here's what I think is the biggest myth. And this is the most damaging. And it gets back to the pay yourself first concept where people think they need to pay off their credit cards first before they invest. And that is the absolute most damaging myth that keeps people broke. Because I've seen people on this roller coaster where they pay off their credit card debts and something goes wrong. They, they need to make payroll or their car breaks down or a water heater bursts and they don't have the money and they have to put it back on a credit card and the debts go right back up. And it goes up and down and up and down. And they're facing age 60, 65, and they finally paid off their credit card debt and they have no other assets to generate an income. Yeah. So that's just like a proverbial seesaw. Yeah. That reminds me, that reminds me in the health world of somebody who loses weight and then gains Mm -hmm. it back and then loses it and then gains it back. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And they get, and they get gain back more often than they lost. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's in the, in this world, that's the, the next time they get the credit card, it's a higher interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, or it ends up with a higher balance. It's just, anyway, the reason I say that is the most destructive is because it gets to the point, it gets to the place where people are not treating themselves like they matter. Mm-hmm. They're not paying themselves first. And people, and I've had people say this all the time. I'll give you another example. I had an attorney who had $6,000 worth of bills and $5,500 came in that month. And he said, I can't pay myself first. I'm short $500 to pay my bills. And I said, okay, fine. So let's say you set aside $250. It's yours to keep. Now you're short $750. Pardon me, but what the F difference does it make? <laughs> Except now you at least have $250. That's yours for the effort you put out. Yeah. And, and I, it's I, a change in attitude. And uh, do you think, that's because people are worried about a credit score so much or something. Why, why do you think? No, I'm not saying don't pay yeah. them. Yeah. I'm saying make the minimum payments. Don't mm-hmm. focus on paying them off. Mm-hmm. That's different. And that's what I did because it, like I said, I was 50. I'm broke. I had credit card debt and I made the minimum payments on it and set us and paid myself first. And it was that $18,000 that created the real estate revenue that paid off my credit cards. It was the tenants who were renting from me that provided me the income to pay off my credit cards. Got you. Got you on that. Okay. So more money equals more wealth. Wrong. Wrong. And then we have pay off your (laughs) credit credit cards first. Wrong. Wrong. So what's next? Uh, The idea that wasting small amounts of money isn't important. 
Like you go to Starbucks every day, you buy a cup of coffee and a muffin or something like that, or a coffee latte. I can't even pronounce those things. $10 a day, if someone lost it, is not going to be significant in their life. But if that $10 a day is set aside, that's $300 a month, $3,600 a year. If someone's young, then in 30 years, invested conservatively, which could be 12%, produces a $1 million portfolio. That $3,000 a month earnings, someone putting away $300 a month, ends up producing $10,000 a month of passive income for someone who's earning $3,000 a month. So little bits of money are important. And I've trained people to pay attention to putting 25 cents into a parking meter. And when they become conscious of where the money goes, they can make the changes. If you're not conscious, you, if you're not aware of what you're doing, you can't change it. So this sounds like, if, if I'm getting ahead of myself, but even when we go through all these things here, probably the number one thing people should probably do is take inventory of like their monthly budget and see where all this money is going. Absolutely right. And here's the sad part. The sad part is they don't teach this in school. Parents can't teach what they don't know. Teachers can't teach what they've never learned. And it gets worse. Uh, you can ask any CPA that you know or ever meet if a part of their coursework was teaching clients how to do a personal budget, an income and expense form, and they will tell you, no, that was not a part of my coursework. I'm certified as a financial planner. Okay. Talk about embarrassment. I did not know how to do a budget. It's not taught in my coursework either. So when you say people should take stock of how much is coming in and where it's going, no one's been taught the skills to do it. You know, there's so many parallels right now to what you're speaking and with the way health is right now, mm -hmm. at, at least in the States where, um, cause I did a year of medical school before leaving and mm -hmm. nutrition's maybe two weeks. It's maybe a two week curriculum. <laughs> oh God. Wait, yeah. <laughs> two weeks of nutritional training for a doctor. And you're talking about what is the key to optimum health? And it's what you put in your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's not about what diseases you're getting. Why did you get them? Yeah. And so even so there, it's we never look at the cause, whether it's with health or with finances. We always just think about the symptom. Mm -hmm. And so I yep. guess, and that's what keeps, and that's what keeps the wealthy wealthy, that those with most optimal health keeps them with optimal health. And everybody else is just on this seesaw of going back and forth on this pendulum. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky, I guess, genetically, I did not inherit whatever I should have from my parents who were both overweight and had hypertension or, or uh, sugar diabetes or whatever. I'm, you know, I'm 72 years of age. I still jog on a regular basis. I did 50 pushups before you and I had a conversation uh, my weight is within 15 pounds of when I competed in gymnastics in college. You know, I'm, I'm a happy guy. You are superhuman and you did marathons. 
Oh yeah. 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 My, I will have my ankle gave up and mm-hmm. I couldn't continue, but yeah, I'd run six marathons. Oh man. I haven't even got my first one done yet. It's coming up soon. I think. Yeah, but, well, uh, I didn't start until I was probably close to 50. So you've got time. I do have time and listeners have time too. no matter what they're going to. If anything, if you, anything you get out of this conversation here is that it's never too late. That's right. It's never that too is late. the absolute best thing you said so far. It's never too late. And so, uh, so we have these here. So we have more money equals more wealth. Nope. Paying off your credit card debts first. Nope. Wasting small amounts of money is okay. Is bad. <laughs> there you go. And so what's next on the list? Okay. That you need a good credit score to create wealth. And I mentioned, I well, I kind of hinted that I didn't have that when I was starting over. Um, so how was I able to qualify for the loan on this little triplex? I couldn't. It was my wife's credit and the realtor's credit that qualified for the loan. So I didn't have good credit but they added me to the loan because I was irrelevant. So I used other people's good credit. Mm -hmm. So that's not a requirement for creating wealth. And I think we've touched on it is it doesn't take money to make money. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I should phrase it. It doesn't take your money to make money. Mm -hmm. And so for listeners that don't, that maybe they understand it. What's like an example of that? Um, well, an example of that is like people who, uh, invest in flipping houses. Mm-hmm. Um, they might go to a real estate investment uh, club meeting and a person shows up who has money and he's looking for someone who has time and expertise and maybe can do some construction work or at least oversee the remodeling of a house so that they can flip it. Well, one partner comes up with the money. The other partner comes up with the time and oversees all the work. They're not contributing any money. And then when the house gets sold, they split the profits 50, 50, 60, 40, whatever they determine they're going to do. So the person with no money still made money on a house flip because he partnered with someone who has money. And this is kind of basically just in this example here is just thinking what we all have some type of strengths that we can offer someone. Yes. And when we combine those forces, we're all in our zone of genius. We're all using our strengths right now or kind of brushing off our limitations right now. And so, um, and so that's a good thing for listeners as, as well to think about is that even if you're with a company right now or you're thinking about your, your company right now to maybe find somebody who kind of helps you. So maybe if you're very creative, maybe you need someone that's more rooted in reality and on the ground level, a more operational based person. You're you're so correct. Um, an example in my own company was I was offering a workshop and someone really wanted to take it and he had no money to pay for it. He wasn't earning anything, but he had a skill in terms of designing Excel forms and making PowerPoint presentations. He knew how to use those effectively. He had written a book. He didn't have the money to publish it. I paid for the publication of his book and he designed forms for me. He designed a better PowerPoint presentation than I could do on my own. And he got the course for free. And now his income has changed from nothing to 4,000 a month. I mean, it's not a lot of money, 
but he's gone from not earning anything. And I think he was in like 12 to 18 months to at least earning $4,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he has momentum now, which is probably the yeah. most powerful thing you can have is momentum. And you have more options <clears throat> now than he did previously. Exactly. So he traded his skills, like you said, for, you know, some information he wanted, which resulted in, in him creating more money. Mm-hmm. So I, so uh, say a listener's listening to all this, they're like, okay, this all makes sense. What would you think of maybe two to three steps that they could take probably after this episode to start creating a more sound financial future? I would say the first thing is, and you know, it's almost like, I think I've delivered stuff like with a fire hose. It's probably overwhelming. So bringing <laughs> it down to one or two things or three things makes a lot of sense. So I would say the number one thing would be for any entrepreneur, any business owner, any person on a paycheck to treat themselves like they matter and carve out some percentage, five, 10%, pay themselves first, because that's how you prove you treat, that's how you prove you matter by mm-hmm. treating yourself first, open up a separate savings account and set that money aside. So step one, take some money and pay yourself first. Step two, open up a separate savings account and put the money there. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't pay any interest. It's irrelevant. It's, you know, let's, let's talk about the health example. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, this is perfect, Julian. Let's say I wanted to build muscles. Tell me how changing my eating is going to build muscles. Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing is you're giving your body quality nutrients and basically the raw goods that it needs to build build those muscles. Uh Uh-huh. Now, so let's say I... I put in good food in my body. Mm-hmm. How will I expect my muscles to improve and grow? By doing that, by resting and, and going to the gym. Oh, I didn't say anything about going to the gym. I only talked about eating. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so how will eating alone mm-hmm. build muscles? It won't. That's to- right. I was a trap question. (laughs) Trick question. (laughs) To build muscles, you have to lift weights. Yeah, that's a good question. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because people will focus on paying off debt and not investing. People will focus on paying other people and not themselves. And if you want to create investments that will generate an income so you can choose to work instead of have to work, that muscle is paying yourself first and then investing. Mm. I like that. I so like that. It's not paying off credit card debt. That's like that's like changing your diet. That that ain't gonna cut it. It's a valid point. It's a valid point. Health so, health and business are health and business finances are all very similar at the foundational level. Exactly. So step one, pay yourself first. Step two set the money aside in the savings. And step three is determine where you can invest it. And they may end up having to study stocks. They may want to put it in mutual funds. They may want to, if they're an employee, they could put it in their employer's 
401k plan or profit sharing plan, whatever might be available, salary savings plan, um, partner with someone else, buy real estate. So the third step is you've got to get educated in what to do with the money. Mm -hmm. And as we get ready toward to close this conversation, and we have to talk about, or I, I, we don't have to, but I, I want to. No, it's, we it's, do. It's, yeah, it's. it's <laughs> I know where you're going. Yes, we do have to talk about it. <laughs> let's let's talk. You know, at the at the what initially attracted me to you was just you know this emphasis on philanthropy and just giving and and helping. So um, let's explain your your um, what you're up to with your charity work. Yeah, uh, because you know I've, I've had people ask this question of me. I said, you know, if if you're so rich. Why do you need money? Why are you charging for your courses? And the reason for it is one, it has people put some skin in the game if they're going to learn something instead of it being free. That's number one. Number two, a hundred percent of the profits from the work I do, from the books I have, from the programs I have, from the coaching that we do, hundred percent of those profits are donated to the charity Shelter to Soldier. And this charity rescues dogs from environment, and it was a perfect introduction that you gave at the beginning, rescues dogs from environments where they could be killed, euthanized, or just die. And instead they are trained as service animals for soldiers who've come back with PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, or other issues who might otherwise have committed suicide. The suicide rate among our veterans is about 22 per day. That's wow. almost one an hour. Wow. Not one service member who's gotten their service dog has committed suicide. Hmm. So this, this charity is saving two lives at a time. Dogs that could have been euthanized, saving soldiers that could have committed suicide. And thank you for that. Thank you for bringing that to the light. What initially attracted you to that? Well, I'd always been donated to donating to animal causes. And so has my wife always been donating to veteran causes because I really had it easy during the Vietnam War. I was in the Naval Reserve. I'm sitting on a ship, eating food at a table, taking showers. And, and people I went to high school with were crawling through rice paddies in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. They may have come home with a colostomy bag or in a body bag. <clears throat> and uh, I really had it easy. But these are the people that allow us to do what we do in this country and have the freedoms that we have in the United States and they're positioned all over the world and allow us to do what we do here. And they're not treated the way they need to be when they come home and they have issues. Well, I thank you for your service. And I thank you also for truly bringing this to light because I, I did not realize that it was that high. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I knew it was the issue, but I just didn't know it was on. I didn't know it was that high. Yeah, it's it's abhorrent. So I guess a, a few rapid. Well, these are not really rapid fire questions. I got to quit saying <laughs> that because they're never rapid fire. But what does success mean to you? Um, it's about significance. Mm -hmm. It's success is about what am I able to contribute to other people. That's what success is. And. Uh, Who's in your all-time musical starting five? This could be groups. It could be solo artists. It, 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 they could be dead or alive. It doesn't matter. Um, as, as a, uh, 
I, I, there's so many. I, the first one that came to mind was Elvis Presley. Okay. And it has n- nothing to do with Tennessee. I, was he in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was Memphis. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it had to do with um, no matter how much money he made, no matter how mu- how famous he was, he was unable to take care of himself and got bad advice in terms of the drugs that he was taking, the pills, the prescription medication, not drugs, prescription medication he was taking created such problems in his body mm-hmm. um, that he turns out he had 32 pounds of waste he was unable to eliminate when he died. Mm, that's a lot. And I oh believe that's what contributed to his heart attack. And anyway, so it's not about the money. It's about health. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, talking about a musician, that's where I'm going. Um, I really enjoy Willie Nelson. He's just such a kick. Mm-hmm. Um, he lives life the way he wants. And, um, you know, so there, there's another favorite. And uh, <clears throat> the examples are kind of weird from the standpoint that I'm thinking of Dolly Parton's song, You Will Always Love Me, uh, or Whitney Houston's version. Whitney Houston was such a beautiful singer, mm-hmm. but still didn't have the um, self-esteem to take care of herself uh, and and be healthy. And I just think of so many people in the music industry from Kurt Cobain and on and on and on who receive money, don't have the image of self that they need to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So bunches of folks. Yeah. It's, um, you know, a lot of those people, I I think sometimes they're so gifted. Yeah. So gifted. And it's just probably a lot of that trauma and tragedy can kind of. And one of my favorites, Michael Jackson. Yes. That's another one. Yeah. It's so creative and unable to even sleep. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I think it's stuff from, I don't know about all of them, but it's kind of how they grew up and not being able to, to process that, that trauma correctly. Yes, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. So um, the next question here is pretend you have a bottle of wine a cup, or cups of coffee or tea, whatever <laughs> your drinking choice is. There's even water there too. Okay, and you can, you're having a round table discussion and you can have three people join you from any point in history, dead or alive. What three people would join you? And it has to exclude family. Okay. Um, <laughs> a funny uh, I love the question. Um, so I would have one of the people would be Bill Gates. Okay. He's alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but he reads a lot. He studies, he looks at, and, and they, this gets to what I believe we do. And that's raise philanthropists. Mm-hmm. Um, our job is to teach people how to handle money powerfully so they can be philanthropic and contribute to the causes that touch their heart. And Bill Gates Foundation is doing that kind of stuff. So Bill Gates would be one of the people I'd want to have uh, a cup of tea with. Um, my my daughter tried to get me to drink red wine because it increases lifespan. And I just can't palate it. Is that the right word? <laughs> I tried and it's just, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, the second would be Mahatma Gandhi. Okay. Uh, a person who had virtually nothing, mm-hmm. uh, was able to get Britain to get out of India 
was able to convince so many people to follow his lead, and at the same time, was not respected by his children. And it's sort of like, hmm, there may be a, is there a choice here where you do something for billions, but not your own family? And I think that kind of conversation would really be very enlightening with Mahatma Gandhi. Mm -hmm. So we've got uh, Bill Gates, we've got Mahatma Gandhi, and the third would probably be Salvador Dali. Oh, that's the first on this show. No one's ever mentioned him. That's the okay. first. So, oh, you've had the others before, right? I've I've had, I'm trying to think, maybe one other person with Bill Gates and maybe two others with Gandhi. Okay. And so the, the reason I'd bring these three together because we got Salvador Dali, who is a master at self-promotion and was an artist and was so creative in terms of how he saw things. And I'm thinking you've got a creative with Salvador Dali. You've got a practical creative with Bill Gates and you've got a politically creative with Mahatma Gandhi. What a fascinating evening that could be. Now I say this is the most strategic answer to this question that that has that has been that I've listened to. So okay. you, you, your first place on that because that's a very strategic answer, and it would be a very interesting conversation, and it makes it makes a lot of sense also. And I guess, well, I guess that's how I think. Mm -hmm. um, which is how I created the wealth from the standpoint of the, the certified financial training mm -hmm. did not teach me how to create wealth, only how to take care of other people's wealth. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it, it's just so frustrating. I, I'd gotten a program into 20 high school districts to teach students how to handle wealth. Cause it's not taught in our schools. And it was a very frustrating experience because a year later, when I came back to measure the results, not one teacher taught the material. Can you guess why? Because they didn't understand it themselves. Exactly. So then I realized I have to teach the teachers so they can teach the students. Yeah. And I just assumed the teachers would take the manuals that were provided and teach it. No, they were confronted by the material. Hmm. I can see that. I can see it. A lot of work to be done there. A lot of yeah. work to be done. But um, I don't know. I'm an optimist, and I believe it will change over time, slowly but surely. Yes, it does. Yeah. Things like so, that do can happen. Yeah, and this question, it all the time, like usually when the, the three people that guests select, usually indicates their personality and the way they think. You know, and and there's a question here somewhere, right? No, no, I'm just like, it's oh. just, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just always fascinated by it that I, I, listeners have probably heard me say this a lot. I'm just really fascinated by like the people that they choose usually reflects who this person is as a person mm. and, and how they think. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Cause I ended up now that you said that I ended up picking someone who's on one end of the wealth spectrum and the opposite end of the wealth spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> So, wow. That's why I'm, I'm just always amazed. So yeah, I don't even have a question here with that. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I'm just having a moment and I'm forgetting that it's recording. But um, so the last, so the last question here is that someone comes up and taps you on the shoulder and they asked you, what are three things that I can do today 
to start becoming a superhuman entrepreneur, what would you tell them? Uh, to find out who they want to emulate and reach out to them. That would be the number one. Uh, you said I gotta have to come up with three things, right? Or uh, do we just need one? We can change it for you. Okay, uh, that would be it. It would okay. be to emulate. Well, Tony Robbins says it best, model what works. Mm -hmm. Well, if you really wanna model what works, find out the person who you respect, who you emulate, who you'd wanna copy your business after and reach out to them. And with the concept of six degrees of separation, mm -hmm. you can probably reach them in some way. And this goes back to what we talked about earlier with the 5,000 year old concept that success leaves clues and there's no need to overcomplicate things. So I oh, think yeah. that, so I think that's perfect. It's just one. Let's just keep it simple. Yeah. So that's it. That is awesome. That's a great way to book in the conversation. Where can listeners find out more about you? Um, well, I'm kind of simple. Uh, like we already learned, I failed high school math. I keep things simple. <laughs> So they can go to my website to see the TEDx talk and they can go to wealthoneanyincome.com forward slash TEDx. And they'll can get a roadmap to what I call complete financial choice, not retirement or financial freedom or a complete financial choice. Um, they could buy a copy of my book where the profits go to charity. Uh, they could listen to my podcast because I've got one too. And it's wealth on any income.com wealth on any income. So the book is called wealth on any income, the podcast, the website. It's very easy to remember. I keep it simple. Yes. Keep it simple. We're saying consistent in, in, with our behaviors and everything, no matter what we're doing. So I like that. This has been an awesome conversation. I know listeners are going to love it. And um, to the listeners out there, stay awesome, be limitless and go be superhuman. Peace.